Do you remember what we put in our treasure chest last week? Remember, we had unity with our brothers and sisters, which you are practicing as we speak. We are now one body. We have a closeness with God that we couldn't have had otherwise without the blood of, of Jesus. And we're all equal in this. There's no Jews, no Gentiles, no male, female, slave, free, young, old. There's no difference. But we also have peace. That peace that passes all understanding. And this week, we have no longer a stranger. Uh, Jeff and I have traveled a lot uh, to different countries. And one thing is always true is that we stand out. Everybody knows. And I once asked, how do you know we're Americans? And they go, well, because you look like Americans. You sound like Americans. And it's almost embarrassing. But, you know... After a while, we kind of assimilate into the culture, and then they can't really tell that much, except I'm actually, like, we lived in Austria for a while, and I was pregnant with my son, Brandon, and I was called the little petite American, you know? It's like, okay, because, you know, a lot of those German gals, they were big, you know? And so... Anyway, but now we are no longer strangers within the body of Christ because we have now become part of the body. And before we get into God's word more, let's open in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are no longer strangers, especially with you. And it's because of what your son did for us on the cross. And because of that, we can now come to you. We can call you our Father our Abba, our dad. And so as we go through this amazing scripture where it talks about how we are part of this wonderful temple, would you anoint this time with your Holy Spirit that we are able to truly grasp what you are trying to tell us. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, New Living Translation. And it says in verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so last week we learned that because we are now one in Christ, there's now no difference between any of us. And here, Paul is specifically speaking to the Gentiles because they used to be separated from the Jewish people. They weren't part of that religion. And now they are part of God's family. How did this happen? Well, Israel was God's chosen nation, weren't they? But they rejected their Messiah. And the consequences were very extreme because of that. Uh, their inheritance was now being given to the believing Gentiles along with believing Jews. And so they were no longer God's chosen people. God still had his covenant with the Jew Jewish people that he would keep his covenant with them, but they were no longer his chosen people. And why was that? Because they weren't producing fruit. 
they weren't being that light to the rest of the world. They weren't being that, that light to the Gentiles, drawing people closer to God. And so God said, well, you know what? I'm bringing my son, all who believe in him. They're now going to become my chosen people, and they will produce fruit. In other words, and I'm not talking about, you know, apples and oranges. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about how that fruit, what is fruit? Well, it's gathering more people to come to Christ. That's what bearing fruit means. That's, that means you're under control of the, the spirit of God and you're taking your job seriously and you're drawing people to him as the Jewish people should have been. But listen to what Jesus said with regard to the Jewish leaders. He says in Matthew 21, 42 and 43, then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. There you go. So what is this cornerstone that the people were rejecting? Verse 20 goes on to say, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So let's break this down to a bit. See, together we are his house. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about we are the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it hasn't always been this way. It used to be exclusively a Jewish thing. But they rejected their cornerstone, which was Jesus, the Messiah. The cornerstone is a very important part of a temple. And because of that rejection, and they didn't produce fruit, God handed over this to the Gentiles and, of course, the believing Jews. In other words, they had their exclusive membership taken away and given to the Gentiles who were producing fruit. Let's look at what Jesus, um, about Jesus being this cornerstone. Uh, it's very interesting. In ancient times when building a structure, the most important stone was that cornerstone. It had to be perfectly square. I kind of liken it to like a Legos, my, my boy's loved Legos, but you know, they're like almost perfect and they go together perfectly, but you always have to start out with one piece. Can you imagine trying to put your Legos together if that, that corner, like, so let's say you're making a pyramid, let's just say that piece was not square. What would that do to the rest of your little pyramid? You see, it has to be perfect. And in this case, Jesus Christ was the perfect cornerstone. The Jews rejected that perfect cornerstone of their faith. Therefore, it wasn't perfect. Their religion was not perfect. Verse 21 goes on to say, We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
So are we talking about a physical temple here? No, of course not. We're talking about the Lord's church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are just one of the many blocks in that temple. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 tells us, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, talking about the Jewish people rejecting their, their living stone, Jesus, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now we are now those living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let's break this down a little bit. All right, we came to Jesus, the cornerstone or living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God. And when we did that, we became living stones in Jesus' temple. We were added to that cornerstone. And we together being made into a beautiful spiritual house, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And I love that Jesus use, uses natural phenomena in order to explain the supernatural. We see this whenever he was talking and he knew it was going to be a difficult concept for the people to understand, he would use nature, wouldn't he? Oftentimes he would use, okay, this is what this means. And he's doing that here. He's going, okay, we are now part of a building. The Jewish people, the Gentile people would understand because, you know, that's the only way they made buildings was laying blocks on top of blocks. And so they understood this concept. Then verse 22 goes on to say, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So through Jesus, we Gentiles are being put into or added to this spiritual building. We are part of the structure. The structure is what we're going to focus on in our remaining time. See, we are building God's temple, but what does that mean? Well, much like a house, you start with a blueprint, don't you? And what is our blueprint? Well, this one looks like a pretty cool house. Now, I tried to find a scripture that would describe a blueprint in the word of God. The conclusion I came to was, unless I wanted to sit here and read the whole Bible to you, because that really is the blueprint, isn't it? So, just suffice to say, the Bible is our blueprint. Whenever we have a problem, we go to the Word of God, don't we? So, let's summarize what this is. What is a blueprint? What is our blueprint, God's blueprint? Well, God created us for the purpose of communing with Him. He wanted to create us to spend time with him. That's what he wanted to do. But we sinned. Therefore, God had to make a way for that relationship to continue. And we see this in the Old Testament. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see where the people would blow it. They would sin against God. And then God would make a way for them to right themselves in their relationship with him. Finally, God sent his perfect son, the perfect cornerstone, to earth to be that, that final sacrifice for our sins. And in order to receive this gift of his sacrifice, all we have to do is believe and receive. 
right? That is our blueprint. That's God's plan. That was his plan from the very beginning. He knew that we were going to sin. He knew that we were going to disobey on a regular basis because we sin like every day, right? So he sent that final sacrifice. So there's our blueprint. Next, we have a foundation. So with home construction, it is imperative that the foundation is square. We determined that, right? The foundation was that cornerstone. If the cornerstone isn't square, like my Lego example, if that Lego somehow, they're very good at making their Legos very square, and they always fit together very well. But you see, you can, if it wasn't square, then the whole building is going to be off. I've never seen an actual building that was that bad off, but it does happen where the foundation is on very unsolid ground. Today, that doesn't happen that much because we have like lasers and stuff like that that prevent us from making a house that isn't square. But sometimes the house, it may have a very square foundation, but it's not on solid ground. I remember uh, one time, my, it was during the winter, and there was a house. This is when we lived in the mountains. And the house across the street was being built, and they were on the side of uh, a small hill. And so what they would do in order to keep that house stable is they would have, like, these pillars. And they would dig deep into the ground. And it went very deep. And uh, this funny story, um, I remember one time my boys, you know how you always tell them, don't jump in mud puddles, and it's like, it is, yes, typical boys, don't jump in mud puddles, where, well, these, they, they were going to dig holes to put these huge beams in to hold it on the side of the mountain, and they hadn't put the beams inside. We had had a huge rainstorm, and so my boys thought it'd be fun to go step in the puddles. Well, they went all the way to their waist. And so now they are stuck in the mud. So anyway, so I have this vivid picture in my head of what you need to have in order to keep, because that was deep. And they were stuck. I actually had to get shovels and stuff like that and try to get them out. And it was during winter. It was freezing outside. And my youngest, Austin, was stuck in the mud with a friend. And so, you know, I just have this, this whole thing going, wow, but you know what? That hole was so necessary for the structure of the house. It needed to be on a strong foundation. So they dug real deep. And so I love that picture. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Oops. Yeah, yeah. It would fall because it did not have a solid, firm foundation. Um, this must have been an amazing location, had a great view of the ocean, but a lot of good that did them, right? So, Likewise, if our religion doesn't have a strong foundation, then it will fall. That foundation must be on Jesus Christ, not anything else. 
No kind of religion can make up for that. And this is what the Jews did not understand. It was all about their religion. So we have a cornerstone of Jesus Christ as the primary stone, and then we have the apostles and the prophets. Now, was it based on them? No, it was based on what they taught. And that was what? The gospel, the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the coming of Jesus again. That is what our foundation is. Jesus Christ and him. And then the prophets taught all of this. So they helped build on that foundation. Next, we have the building itself. And that is done in many stages, uh, being the, the wife of a contractor in Jeff's early years. That's what he did. I'm very familiar with a lot of construction stuff. That and I love home improvement shows, you know. I watch Fixer Upper. I know all there is to know about construction. But... <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know anything. But, um, <laughs> but it's still fun, isn't it, to try to pretend that we can do it? But anyway, we forget that it's all te television. Anyway, so the first thing we have is after our foundation is we have framers. They build the shell. Then we have plumbers. Then we have electricians, drywallers, painters, all the finish work, and then we have that finished home. Now, I love this. Isn't that the prettiest thing? But you see, in order to complete this home, it took a lot of skilled workers, didn't it? What if you decided that you didn't want to have the plumbers in while it was still in the framing stage? And you decided, well, you know what? We'll just put in the plumbing when the house is done. That doesn't work out very well, does it? It's pretty ugly. So what are you doing? You're tearing out walls and stuff like that. So in other words, it needs everything done in the correct way, in the correct sequence, and that will create a beautiful house. Likewise, we are now part of God's construction crew, so to speak. We all have a purpose in God's house and in building his temple. We are all a stone being built into God's temple. And we each have our gifts and talents that God has created us for. And those come in the form of oftentimes just gifts of the Holy Spirit. First Peter tells us, why and for what purpose? It says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that. That means all varieties. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's break this down. Each of us has received a gift. For some of us, it's just the gift of faith and, and, be, and taking that gift of salvation. But most of us have got, we all have a purpose within God's kingdom. Some of us have extraordinary gifts added to that faith. 
And we are to use this gift in order to serve each other and Christ. In other words, we are to link hands with one another with one another in order to strengthen the body of Christ. All right, growing up, we used to play uh, Red Rover, Red Rover (laughs) in elementary school. Do they still play that today? Does anybody else know what it is? Okay, for those of you who have, okay, what is this Red Rover, Red Rover? Well, you would have, you, you would split your group up in twos, I mean, in two, and you would, you would form lines, you would face each other, you would link arms, right? Or, you know, you could hold like this or with your elbows. And you would hang on really, really tight. And then one team would go, Red Rover, Red Rover, send so-and-so over. And they would try to break through the lines of the other team. If they broke through, then they got to steal somebody. If they didn't break through, then you got you had to be assimilated into that new group. Okay, so being this little tiny scrawny looking kid, I was always being called. Okay, Okay. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Connie on over. And I'm going, oh, imagine that, you know. And so I would try to run through, but, you know, I, I uh, I was so little that I never, ever, ever broke through the line, okay? And then if that wasn't bad enough, when they would call somebody over to my team, my new line, what would happen? Oh, well, we know where we're running, the little scrawny kid, you know? So why do I bring up this painful memory? (laughs) Well, The moral of the story is that you never want to be that weak link. And how do we do that? Well, it says here that our strength is in the Lord, isn't it? We find our strength in everything we do in the Lord. So when you're connected to your brothers and sisters, because we are now one body, Nobody's going to break through because we are all relying on the strength of the Lord. We're not trying to do this on our own. So, I mean, going back to my Red Rover analogy, I, if I am not relying on the Lord, if I become that weak link, that's the one that the enemy wants to run through, isn't it? So, what does our verse say? Whoever serves, serve by the strength that God supplies. Not something that I do, but what God supplies. And the purpose is for the glory of God and not ourselves. Needless to say, as I grew up, I began to get into sports. I got strong. (laughs) Nobody was going to break through me, right? But anyway... But we're going to learn more about the spiritual gifts in Lesson 11, uh, which is going to be after the first of the year because we're already approaching the Christmas break. But if you want to know about the gifts in more detail, we're going to go over those. But Romans gives us a really good list here. It says, because of the privilege 
and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Wow, that's pretty strong stuff here, isn't it? I love that it says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. See, apart from Christ, we are weak. That is the proper evaluation. We can do nothing without the power of God. Then it says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We're all part of that Red Rover link, right? In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So we've all been given something that we can do well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, and now that's something we can all do, right? We can all encourage each other. We need encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. And that's not only monetary, but giving of yourselves. That can be actually harder, can't it? If God has given you a leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So, what does our first part tell us? Don't think highly of yourselves. In other words, don't be prideful of your gift. Apparently, this was a problem with the Roman church. They kind of got proud of how spiritual they were. And then it says to evaluate yourself, lying to yourself about how great you really are will only cause you grief because it's not true. We deceive ourselves. But why the warning? Well, apparently they thought that they were all that and that their gift, whatever their gifts were, they were better than the next guy. And so it was causing division in the church. Then it goes on to tell us that we've all been given a gift for a particular reason, and that is so that we can all do our part well. Then Romans goes on to list examples of the gift and what our response should be. And I love that it says, if you have the gift of prophecy, do it with as much faith as you possibly can. If you love to serve, if your gift is serving, do it with the right attitude and is the, to the best of your ability. Giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that very, very seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, oh, I would love to have that gift. Hopefully I'm kind. <laughs> but in other words, do everything to the best of your ability. You don't want to be that weak link, do you? Because God says, I need all of you in order to build my temple. When our cornerstone is Christ, that will be a very strong temple. When our foundation is the gospel built on something true, 
we will have a strong temple. And then you throw in all of our individual gifts into the mix, and we now become an amazing temple used for God's glory. And the beauty of God's system is that if you're weak in an area, God will bring someone alongside you who is strong in that area. And if you are strong in an area, God will lead you to come alongside someone who is weak. There's a wonderful story about two students who graduated from Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton. And when he received his honor, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend, Kaprazic. They had met one another in school when the armless Mr. Kaprazic had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. This acquaintance ripened into a friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books of the armless man, and the armless man read aloud in their common study, and thus individual deficiencies of each was compensated by the other. After the graduation, they plan to practice law together. But isn't that a perfect example of, okay, here's a guy. They both had handicaps, but together they were able to help each other. So what is our key takeaway from today's scripture? What is our treasures that we can find here? Well, number one, we are all citizens of God's holy temple. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. God can redeem anyone and put you into his temple. You become that living stone. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So don't let anyone tell you differently that you aren't part of his kingdom. Don't let them convince you that you are still a stranger. Number two, together we are his house, his temple, and we must live a life worthy of that honor. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God? Do you not you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. What was that high price? The shed blood of Jesus. So that's pretty high indeed. So you must honor God with your body. And then number three, we are joined with Christ. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, Wow, that sounds pretty good. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, we, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love that. And number four, because we have been joined with Christ, we are now part of God's big plan. We have a purpose. We have a job. 
we have support. And if anyone looks down at you because your gift looks unimportant, don't believe them. Every gift is important. Every gift. And I will lead you, I'll leave you with uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, 12 through 20. And it's in our homework today, but it really needs to be spoken out here. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, just like our body has different parts, right? So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. That's very clear, isn't it? Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Of course, that kind of looks like something out of Picasso, but, you know, it's, I think we understand the concept here, right? In other words, we can't all have the same gift. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. That's a truth there. God has put each part just where he wants it. That's you and I. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. It would be dysfunctional too, right? You would be kind of like that, that old scary movie, The Blob, you know, or something. You know, you'd only have one part. If you were just a heart, you'd just be kind of rolling around on the ground. Yeah, so we can't function that way. So in God's kingdom, we all have value, don't we? So don't let anyone rob you of that. You see, if the plumbing didn't get done in our virtual house, that would be horrible. Not having indoor plumbing, inconceivable, right? He was needed for his part. It may not be the most glorifying job on the site, but it is essential. And the really cool thing about God's job site is that if he has given you a gift, you will love it. You will think, wow, I was made for this. Because that's true. You were made for that. That's why you will feel like you, you are a, truly a part of something because you are doing exactly what God created you for. So don't worry. Don't fret. And always remember that God has a wonderful plan for each one of us. Amen? All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we do each have an amazing plan for our lives. That each one of us has an important part in your temple. That we can rest in that. And that if you have given us a gift, you have given us the strength to rely on you. We don't have to do this alone, Lord. And so I would ask that you encourage each one of these beautiful ladies here today that they know that they are an important part of your kingdom. 
that they are needed and that they have a purpose and that you love them above all. And so we thank you, Lord. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.